All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out a Bible. Today we are going to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, in this Christmas season, today's message is entitled, To Those Who Wait. To Those Who Wait. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22, here in just a moment. Now, one of my favorite themes of Scripture, a theme that you see all throughout the Bible, is waiting on the Lord. And I think this is probably so interesting to me and so compelling to me because I'm so bad at it. Waiting on the Lord. I mean, over and over again in Scripture, God calls us to wait on Him, to trust Him to bring about His will and His way and His time. But so often I want to bring about God's will in my own way, in my own time. A lot of times I'm like Abraham and Sarah who were given the promise of a son and yet tried to bring it about in their own way instead of waiting on the Lord to bring it about in His. A lot of times I'm like Peter, overzealous, speaking out of turn. Uh, I oftentimes think God views me as Jesus sometimes did Peter. You know, be quiet over there. Calm down. Wait your turn. You know, Peter's always speaking up, always wanting, wanting to perhaps run ahead of Jesus and His plan. I feel like I'm sometimes like that as well. I often run ahead of God and later realize I should have waited and trusted. On the days of the birth of Jesus, Jewish people had been waiting, waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah. For hundreds of years, anxiously anticipating it, knowing it could happen at any moment, but generation after generation not seeing it, passing down the hope, passing down the stories to further generations, and still waiting and praying for the coming of the promised Messiah. And just as they prayed then and looked to the promises that were given in the Old Testament prophets, we pray now for God to send Jesus once again. Just as they constantly waited for the Messiah to come, we once again wait for Him to come a second time. They did not know how exactly it would happen. They did not know what exactly it would be like. Many of them had mistaken ideas of how Jesus would come or what He would do when He got there, but they were waiting. They were waiting, and so are we. Today we look at two people who were waiting with all their hearts for the Messiah, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. Let's look at our text in Luke 2. It starts in verse 22. This is speaking of Jesus and his parents when Jesus was just born. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, 
And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is an often overlooked part of the Christmas story, but I think it's a profound one. We have some profound lessons to be learned from both Simeon and Anna in our passage in looking at how they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And the way that they waited on the Lord. Let's look at Simeon first. In verses 25 and 26, we are introduced to this man, Simeon, and we read that he was righteous and devout. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. And interestingly enough, in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he saw the Lord's Christ before he saw the Messiah. Wouldn't that be interesting? We don't know how early in his life Simeon was told this. We don't know how early in his life God revealed this to him. And we also don't know whether God said, hey, I, you, you can tell anybody you want or don't tell anyone. Keep this a secret. This is only a special revelation for you. But we do know that he was waiting, it says, waiting on the consolation of Israel, waiting to see the Messiah. Now, what does that mean that he was waiting? Let's dig into that and, and ask, what does that really mean to wait on the Lord in this way? Well, we know he must have been longing. Longing was a part of it. It was Simeon's deepest desire to see Jesus, to see the Messiah that was promised. You remember, grown-ups, the anticipation of Christmas? And for you young people, are you feeling it right now? The anticipation of Christmas, we're almost halfway through December, it's coming, it's not too far away, but even though it's, it's only about two weeks away, it seems like it's forever, it's never going to come, it's never going to get here, right? You, you remember the anticipation, that feeling of waiting for Christmas Day and waiting for what you might get? Well, it was a lot like that for Simeon, only it was much more permanent. It was, it was much more steady. It was a lot more than just a month. It was a lifetime of anticipation, longing, waiting, hoping to see it. And speaking of hope, he wasn't just longing, he was hoping. Hoping. He had hope in what God had promised, not only in the Old Testament, but to him personally through the Holy Spirit. Now, biblical hope, you guys, is not like hope the way we use it in our everyday conversations. 
When we say hope in our everyday conversations, we're talking about wishful thinking. You know, something might or might not happen, but we hope it does, right? I hope I get what I want for Christmas. That's the way we use hope. But when you see hope in the Bible, it's not just something you do, and it's not wishful thinking. It's something you have, and it's a conviction in the truth of God's promises and God's Word. You have hope, according to the Bible, because God has told you what is going to happen. God has told you who you are in Christ. God has told you that Christ will one day return. God has given you a picture of what eternity is going to be like with Himself and with those who also profess faith in Christ. And so hope in the Bible is not just wishful thinking. It's a conviction that you know God is going to do what He promises, and you look forward to it. It's not, maybe this will happen, or maybe it won't. It's confident trust. Christmas is about hope. But the hope of Christmas is not, I hope I get what I want. The hope of Christmas is not, I hope next year is better than this year, even though we all might be feeling like that. The hope of Christmas is not even, one day I hope the Lord will fix all of our problems. The hope of Christmas is, I know God will keep His promises. And I'm looking forward to seeing Him do it. We have hope. We're not just hoping we have hope because of God's Word that never fails. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Now, Simeon was not just longing. He was not just hoping. But Simeon would have been reading his Bible because the entire Jewish nation knew that the Messiah was coming. And they were all anxious for it to happen. Again, some of them had mistaken ideas about what would happen once he came or the manner in which he would come. But they were all hoping because of what was said in the Old Testament. They knew their Old Testament. They knew the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah. They knew all of the times where Jesus was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And they knew a Messiah would one day come because it was so clear in the Old Testament that it was promised. They didn't know when. Simeon would have been reading his Bible to stoke the fires of his hope. Looking for those prophecies. Looking for those promises. And he would have been reading the Bible to let God's Word correct his doubts and his fears. Brothers and sisters, we have doubts. We have fears in our walk with Christ. Sometimes we look out into the world and it seems bleak and dark and without hope. Sometimes we are tempted in this journey of holding to Christ and taking up our cross every day to follow Jesus. Sometimes we are tempted to give up and to just stop because it's hard. Because we look out there and we see people who don't even care about the Lord. It seems like they're prospering. And meanwhile, we're suffering. We're tempted to give up. What do we do in those times, brothers and sisters? We go to God's Word and we let Him preach to us. We let Him preach to our hearts. We let Him correct our doubts. We doubt our doubts. We don't put hope in our feelings. We let God correct our doubts and our fears. We let God's Word speak to our hearts and we see His promises and we see the God who made the promises in His Word. 
The God whose word has never failed. The God who has never backed down on a promise. The God who never fails his people. Who will never forsake us. We see that God in his word and we see his promises and we stake our eternity on it. Because we know they are sure. We know God's word, God's promise is more real than the pew you're sitting in. It's more sure than the roof over our heads right now. God's promises never fail, and we go back to His Word time and time again to get new hope and new strength. Simeon would have been doing that, and Simeon would have been praying. Do you remember the last time that you had a season of waiting on the Lord? Waiting's not easy, is it? Waiting on the Lord is hard. I once heard a man say, waiting on the Lord is not just kicking back in a hammock. No, it's, it's holding a plank position until your coach tells you you can let go. Waiting on the Lord is hard. But when we wait, what are we doing? What were you doing all the time, the last time you were in a season of waiting? If you know the Lord, what were you doing constantly the last time you were waiting? You were praying. Pray, 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 pray. That's what we do when we're waiting on the Lord. Simeon would have been praying. And brothers and sisters, we are waiting on the Lord right now. We're waiting for Him to return. Some of us are waiting on the Lord in other ways. Some of us are are waiting on the Lord to bring us out of a season of heartache or suffering. Some of us are waiting on the Lord to bring about something that we truly believe is His will and have begged Him for and it yet, yet has not happened. We pray. We go to Him. We pray, we pray, we pray. Why? Because there's nowhere else to go. Because He's all we have, and He is more than we need. And He will fulfill every word of His that He has given to us. Simeon would have been praying, asking God to bring about what He promised. That's part of what praying is, you guys, is reading a promise in Scripture and asking God to do what He promised. You read the Bible, you will see the prayers of God's people are like that. Now you might think, wait a second, that's kind of wrong. Why would we ask God to do what He promised? Of course He's going to do what He promised. It might be rude or impertinent to ask God to do something that He's already promised to do. No, that's the way people prayed in the Bible. And this is God's Word. God's teaching us to pray in this Bible as we look at the prayers of others. And one of the primary characteristics of biblical prayer is holding on, clutching or grabbing onto a promise that God has given and saying, God, you promised. Do it. I'm waiting for you to do it, and I'm not going to turn away until I see you do it. That's biblical prayer when you're waiting on the Lord. Now, notice Simeon's words in verses 29 and 30. Look at verses 29 and 30. After Simeon holds Jesus, Jesus' whose parents let the stranger hold their baby... Right? They, they must have gotten the sense that this was a bigger deal than just a random person wanting to hold their baby. But verse 29, he's holding Jesus, Simeon is, the baby, and he says, Lord, he prays to God, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Let me ask you guys, do you have something on your bucket list? You have something that you want to do before you die. And if you, if you did that thing, man, then you could die happy. Have any of us in here been blessed enough to have already done something in our lives? And after we did it, we said, oh, now I can die happy, right? You have something like that? 
Simeon's entire bucket list was seeing the Messiah. That was, that was the entire thing for him. And notice the language that he's using. Essentially, he's saying, now I can die happy. Because the one hope and dream that I've always had just happened. So now I can die happy. It doesn't matter what happens for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter if I die tomorrow. Now I'm fulfilled. Everything to him, absolutely everything, was seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus was everything. Nothing was more important. It was his singular focus. It was the great motivator in his life. Remember in the Old Testament when God appeared to Solomon, young Solomon, and said to Solomon, Solomon, you can have one thing from me. Ask one thing from me and I'll give it to you. One wish, right? Amazing. If only that could happen to us, right? One thing to Solomon, and he asked for wisdom. But if, if God had appeared to Simeon like that and said, I will grant you one wish, what is it? Simeon's wish would have been, I want to see the Messiah. I just want to see him. That was his singular focus. How about you? Are your hopes and dreams tied up in seeing Jesus and knowing Jesus? Is seeing Jesus the driving force behind everything in your life? Is knowing Jesus the most essential thing to you in all of life? Are you anxiously looking forward to the day where we will all see Him coming on the clouds? And finally, we will be able to run to Him and to fly to Him and to rest in Him. And to be done with this world. Simeon's hopes and dreams in his entire life were tied up in that one thing, that one desire, seeing Jesus. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God promises us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Listen to what God is saying there. If you can but seek God with all your heart, God is saying He'll make sure you find Him. He will make sure He is found by you if you can seek Him with all your heart. If you can pursue Him with everything you've got, He will make sure He is found by you. And when you find God, brothers and sisters, when you find God, there's nothing else. It doesn't matter. It's everything. And it satisfies every part of your soul that you've ever longed to fill. It's all there in God, but you've got to go to Him with all your heart. And if you can, you will find Him, and you will find the greatest thing that you have ever found in your entire life, and the greatest thing you will ever find. So that's Simeon, waiting on the Lord. But it's not just Simeon here, it's Anna, right? We meet a woman named Anna, starting in verse 36. Anna was waiting for Jesus. And with Anna, we learn that when you wait for Jesus with your whole heart, when you are waiting for Jesus with your whole heart, it makes noticeable differences in your life. Waiting for Jesus with your whole heart makes noticeable difference in your life. Look at verses 36 and 37. There we see that Anna was poor because of waiting for Jesus. Her waiting for Jesus made her poor. Look at verse 36. It says she was advanced in years, 
She had lived with her husband for seven years, but from that point, she was a widow, verse 37, until she was 84. So at this point, she's 84. She's been a widow ever since she was married. Her marriage only lasted seven years, and then her husband died. We don't know how long in between that time was, but it was probably a long time. She's never remarried. She's been a widow that whole time, and now she's 84. So we know she's a widow. She's elderly. She's elderly for that culture especially. And she never leaves the temple. Did you see that in verse 37? She never leaves the temple. So we know she's poor. She doesn't have a means of income. She stays there and she likely depends on the mercy and the the feeling sorry for her of other people for her food, for her livelihood at the temple all the time. And so waiting on Jesus for Anna made her poor. It made a significant difference in her life. Now, you might look at that and you might say, oh, that must have been very difficult. And in a sense, you would be right. But in a sense, you would also be wrong. Of course, being poor would be difficult. Of course, not having some of the things you need to survive would be difficult. And depending on the pity of other people would be difficult. But there's another sense in which it would be easy if you were waiting for Jesus like Anna was. You see... For someone who longs for Jesus, I mean, has an aching longing for Jesus in their heart. Nothing is more important. For someone like that, the sufferings of this world are just little things. They're not that important. They don't hurt as much as they otherwise would. Think about this. If I told you, if I come up to you after the service and I say, hey, I want you to fast for the next two days, just because I asked you. I want you to go the next two days without food completely. Well, you'd be like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, some of you, if, if you really are uh, excited about maybe getting closer to the Lord in a different way than you never have, maybe you would do it. But others would be like, that's going to be hard. And some of you might even try and then fail because the motivation's not really there. All that happened is I asked you to do it, right? That's a hard thing to do, go without food for two whole days. But what if the president of a huge nationwide bank came up to you And told you, if you go without food for the next two days, I will give you $1 million. And you had, let's say you had every reason to believe him. All kinds of reasons why he's telling the truth. Well then, fasting for two days, two days without food, it's easy, right? Because every time you get hungry, yeah, it get a little hard for a second. But every time you get hungry, the thought of a million dollars just takes over. And the joy of what that's going to be like after it's over, right? It's easy. Two days without food is easy for that, right? Well, in the same way, for for someone like Anna, whose heart is completely given over to waiting on the Lord, being poor, living the life she lived, yeah, there's some hardship in there, but it would have been easy. The sufferings of this present life are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us and the satisfaction that we can find in the Lord. In the early 1800s, A man named David Livingston was born in England. David Livingston spent his entire adult life exploring the continent of Africa in the unexplored regions so that the gospel could go to people who didn't have it. So that the gospel could eventually get to people groups that didn't have access to the gospel. In 1857, David Livingston was addressing students at Cambridge University and speaking about leaving the benefits of England behind for the sake of the gospel. And at the end of his speech, he said this sentence. He said, I never made a sacrifice. 
I never made a sacrifice. Now, what did he mean? Well, of course there was things that he, he gave up for the gospel. Of course there were comforts that he gave up to go do the work of the Lord in that way. But he said over and over again, when you talk about sacrifice, when you talk about giving up things and suffering so that I could do this, I wasn't suffering. I was experiencing joy. It was a greater joy doing what I was doing than it would have been staying here and enjoying all the material blessings of being here. The the joy doing that was more. And so it wasn't a sacrifice. It was just like giving up a lesser pleasure for a greater one. I never made a sacrifice. He found such joy in the Lord and doing the Lord's work that all of the sufferings of this world were just paling in comparison. They're just falling off the side. Much like Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, when he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Yeah, he suffered. He suffered the loss of all things, he says. But all that stuff that he lost, he said he counts it as rubbish. Throw it in the fire. It's not a big deal. I don't care about that stuff anymore because I gained. I gained Christ. What I gained is so much greater than what I gave up. Friends, that's the Christian life. That's what becoming a Christian is. What you will gain is so much more than anything that you could hold on to apart from Christ. Now, this doesn't mean, because of Anna, this doesn't mean to be a real Christian, you must be poor. But if you really want to follow Jesus, it is going to make a significant difference in your life in practical, concrete ways. There will be sacrifices, so to speak. Has Jesus' claim on your life led to any change, any true sacrifices in your life? Has it actually changed the way you live? Or is Jesus just an add-on to your already great and comfortable life? Anna wasn't just poor. Anna was considered weird because of her waiting on the Lord. Her waiting on the Lord made people think she was weird. Think about this. She stayed in the temple. She never left. She didn't go home. She stayed there. She's that person when other people came to the temple that they walked on past, they tried not to look at. She fasted and prayed all the time, and she never sought to remarry. And in that day, that kind of person would have been looked on as odd and weird. And so if you make the commitment to wait for Jesus with all your heart, people will notice. They will, because it makes concrete differences in your life. People will notice, and some will admire you. There will be those who are also waiting with all their hearts for the Lord, and they might admire you. They might think it's great what you're doing, but many, many will think you are odd. If you're ready to take up your cross and follow Jesus, you have to be willing to be thought of as weird by other people, as odd by other people, as radical, as a Jesus freak. People are going to think you're odd if you follow Jesus with all your heart. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to accept the blessing of people thinking you are odd like they thought Jesus was odd? Like they thought John the Baptist was odd? Like they thought Anna was odd? And Paul and John and Peter 
Those guys were weirdos to the world, okay? And they loved it. You want that? Because there will come a day 10,000 years from now, maybe longer. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But when we've been in heaven for 10,000 years, we will look back on this life and we will not regret one single minute of the world thinking we were weird for the sake of Jesus. It will be totally worth it. Totally worth it. And so the question is, are you waiting? Like Anna and Simeon, are you waiting for the Lord? Look at verse 38. The last verse in the text we read. It says about Anna, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She spoke to all who were waiting about the redemption of Jerusalem. And it's the same, excuse me, it's the same today. The message of the gospel goes out. And for some, it falls on deaf ears. The message of the gospel goes out, and for some, it falls on hard hearts. Rocky soil. It goes out, and it is not received by some. It's the same message. And yet, that same message for others, when it goes out, for those who are waiting for God's redemption, the message of the gospel takes root and gives joy. I wonder, which one are you today? Which one of those are you today? Are you waiting with all your heart for Jesus? There is a sense in which we celebrate what Jesus has already done. He's already come. He's already died. He's already resurrected. He's already purchased salvation. It's all done. It's finished, right? And yet, we're waiting. We're waiting for Him to come one more time. We're anxiously waiting. Will you be ready when it happens? Are you waiting with all your heart? It's a weird phrase, isn't it? Waiting with all your heart. But I think you get a sense of what it means with what we've talked about today. In Psalm 37, verse 7, David wrote, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. David saying, wait patiently for God. You will see people prospering who are wicked. You will see people who do not give a rip about the Lord, and it seems like their life is going great. And you will be tempted to see that and to give up on what God has called you to. Wait patiently, because there will come a day where you will be so glad you are on His side and not the other. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah wrote, In the midst of of some of the worst suffering anyone has ever seen. Read Lamentations sometime and see the horrible suffering that was going around Jeremiah as he wrote this. And in in Lamentations 33, verse 25 and 26, Jeremiah wrote, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Simeon and Anna knew those verses. They knew them well. And they were waiting patiently, quietly for the Lord to bring about His will 
in His ways, in His time. If you wait with all your heart for Jesus, you will be considered weird and odd. It will be hard. There will be times of discouragement. But one day He will come again. And it will all be worth it. I'll leave you with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Very traditional Christmas text. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. As a prophecy by Isaiah of the coming of the Messiah. Can you imagine after Jesus came, the way people read that differently than before He had come? Hearing that verse and, and thinking, we were in darkness and now the light has shone. It has come. And while there is a full sense in which that has happened, that has already been fulfilled, we yet wait patiently. We are in darkness even now. We see the darkness all around us. And one day, a light will shine in the darkness. One day, those of us in deep darkness, a light will shine on us and we will see Him coming on the clouds. And we will finally be able to rest in Jesus. And there will be no more darkness. In that day, in that place, Revelation 21 tells us, there is no need of a light because the Lord is the light. A light that never goes out. We look forward to that day. We long for it. We wait for it with eager anticipation and hope. And so now as we consider what the Lord has just laid on our hearts, let's take just a few moments of silent prayer where every single one of us responds to Him in, in whatever particular way that He has driven this into your heart and mind. Let's all respond to God in just a few moments of silent prayer, and after a few moments of that, we'll come back and we'll give a time where anyone can respond publicly who needs to do so. Let's pray together.